This is Youpreneur FM, the official podcast of the Youpreneur Mastermind Community, a place where no entrepreneur gets left behind in their pursuit of building a business they can be proud of. And now, and now, here's your host, serial entrepreneur and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Chris Ducker. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number 189 of Youpreneur FM. Thank you so much for being with me today. I very much appreciate it. So today we're going to be talking about something that I've never discussed, not in depth anyway. The subject might have popped up every now and then, but I've never really truly deep dived onto this subject before, and that is the subject of crowdfunding and what it can mean for us online entrepreneurs. I'm going to be sitting down with Kirsten Ross to deep dive on this very subject. Before I do that, however, quick reminder, we could be taking this free course down in the new year. The Youpreneur Launchpad is still available for you to go ahead and get instant free access to if you haven't already done so already. It's the perfect companion course to this podcast if you want to build a successful long-term business that you can be proud of based around your personal brand. So if you haven't already got access, please go ahead and make sure you do so before it could potentially be taken down in the new year. The URL is simply chrisducker.com forward slash launchpad. That's chrisducker.com forward slash launchpad. Now, onto my conversation with Kirsten. I first met Kirsten when um, she came to Tropical Think Tank in 2016 which is this year, obviously. (laughs) I feel like I'm already in next year because we're already planning 2017 uh, event, obviously, in March. Uh, There are a few tickets still available for that if you're interested in coming. You should go ahead and check out tropicalthinktank.com. And when Kirsten um, arrived at the event, she was doing okay. But since the event, she made several changes to the way that she's working with her clients and the way that she's kind of positioning herself as really one of the big players in the market in regards to consultants that can help you create and launch and market a successful crowdfunding campaign on you know sites like Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And you know what? We haven't covered it in depth, like I said, so I wanted to go ahead and get her onto the show and really give her a good old grilling, a good old-fashioned grilling in regards to all of those golden nuggets that she's been able to create and find for herself in the process of putting these successful campaigns together herself. So, I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Kirsten. It really is super in-depth, and we cover a lot. So go ahead, get your notebooks ready. You're going to need them, as always, with this show. And this is myself and Kirsten. Enjoy. So, Kirsten, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's my pleasure. So I've been really looking forward to this conversation because obviously we've known each other for a little while. You came to Tropical Think Tank earlier on uh, this year. And since then, I keep seeing your name popping up left, right and center all over the Internet. Either you're trying to like brain like dump me over and over and over again, or you're just being extremely active in marketing yourself and obviously your podcast crowdfunding uncut as well. Um, but I wanted to get you on it. I haven't done a show on crowdfunding yet. So you're my, my crowdfunding um, uh, guinea pig. Are you ready to rock and roll with this? I am. I'm All nervous. Right. <laughs> you should be. I would be if I was in your <laughs> oh, shoes as no. well. So no. Let, so let's, let's sort of, um, let's begin at the beginning. Like, what is the background for Miss Ross? Like, what are you all about? What's your focus? And then we'll get really heavily into the crowdfunding stuff. 
Sounds good. I mean, how far back do you want me to go? Well, I mean, I know you were born at a very young age. We can skip that part. But <laughs> everything else years. we can continue. <laughs> when I was five years old. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, let, let's, let's yeah. go to this. You know, how did you get started with the crowdfunding focus? I think it would be a, a, a solid way of, of beginning the conversation. Yeah, I think um, for it to make sense, I'm just going to go back to university when I fell into entrepreneurship. Um, I was a biochemistry major, and when I entered into my third year, I hated labs. I would, um, I realized because I was running a business on the side that I loved quick results in sales and marketing. So I, I found myself skipping half my classes just to go and run a business. Sure. Um, that's how I knew as an entrepreneur. And the business I was running, it was a, a student house painting business. It's a pretty popular model here in North America. And um, I did that throughout university. And because of my results, um, when I graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I wasn't quite ready to travel yet. And they said, hey, well, you've been one of our top franchisees for three years. Do you want to be a startup advisor with us where you'll travel around the country and you'll uh, recruit and onboard new franchises. And so you'll teach students who have no business experience how to run a profitable business that does $60,000 in six months. I was okay. Like, cool. I think I could do that. So I ended up doing that for four years um, across Canada. And that's how I got into consulting. And I realized I love that. Um, but once I was done with Student Works, I. Um, Along my journey, had read Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week, and had just become enamored by this idea that I don't need to work corporate and I could create life as I chose through a business. And so that put the seeds in me to like figure out how am I going to make a business online and and be able to travel and work everywhere in the world. And uh, so I ended up like doing a lot of traveling. I spent some time in Australia, New Zealand, Thailand. Um, I lived in London for two years. And um, and you came out of that relatively unscathed. I think that's that's a yeah. that's a good thing. London, yeah, I did, but <laughs> it's a great city. Um, it is, but it was it was in London where like part of my journey was. I have tried corporate, and I was part of this startup for three months, and it was the most perfect startup and job you could ever have on paper. And I was still miserable, and. I knew that I needed to fully commit to being an entrepreneur. So after three months in London, I quit the job. And with a little bit of savings in my bank, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and start a business doing God knows what in London. And um, a year of like figuring stuff out and working with random companies, I figured, okay, consulting is where it's at. But me being a startup advisor and helping companies get more sales online is too broad and my business wasn't really taking off at that point. Um, I was making money to pay the bills, but it wasn't anything like glamorous. And after my two-year work visa was up, I decided to come back to Toronto and still a little unsure of how I was going to like make it big online. Um, I met someone at a networking event, Adam Pollan, who was this young inventor, and he had this really cool idea for wearable technology that helps you lose weight through cold temperatures. So picture a vest that makes you really cold. Okay. Right? And he had this cool idea, and he's like, I want to do a Kickstarter campaign for this. Like, Because you've done some work online, do you maybe want to partner up on this thing? And at the time, I was a yes man. I'm like, yeah, right. I'll do it. Sure. Yeah. What's Kickstarter? I don't really, who cares? It can't be that hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we 
at this point, I just took it on as a fun project and we made every mistake in the book. We ended up launching on Indiegogo instead because we didn't have a full prototype. And so Kickstarter has, they're more regulated with what campaigns you can go on. Um, so we did Indiegogo and that first campaign, we set a goal of $50,000 so that we can have enough money to develop the prototype. And a month later, we had only raised a third of our goal, and we were sitting at $16,710 and a failed campaign. Right. So, and, and at that point, let me yeah. stop you there and interject. Like, yeah. At that point, um, how did that like, make you feel as someone who had kind of been brought in to try and help out with this? I felt horrible. Like, It wasn't my money that was... Like, because of course it hurt the founder a lot more, but we had teamed up on this thing and I felt like it was part of my, like, yeah, it was my failure too. Cause we'd been working like 40 or 50 hours a week on this thing, right. um, harassing all our friends and family and just to post this on Facebook. And then everyone, like the entire world saw that our campaign tanked. See, that's, that's the brutal part about crowdfunding, right? Is that. If it's not successful, it's not just you who knows about it. It's everyone. bloody everyone, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I and I've I've seen some, you know, Indiegogo, Kickstarter type campaigns where, you know, I thought to myself, hey, that's a pretty cool idea, and it tanks mm-hmm. completely. Um, I kind of feel like almost all of the time, and I know you're going to get into this, but pretty much every campaign isn't necessarily down to the idea of the product or whatever it is. It's more the marketing of the campaign itself. Would I be right in saying that? hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. So we'll get into that in a minute. Carry on with the story. I want to see how this works out. Yeah. So it, um, it felt really awful. And cause I had come from a very successful consulting background and results that I had had in the last seven years were like amazing. And so this was my first like big failure. And um, we had cho- so with Indiegogo, there are two kinds of ways to get your project funded. One is the uh, fixed model, which means that if you don't hit your goal, you don't keep the money. Or you could do flexible, which means that if you don't hit your goal, you can still keep whatever money you raise. Um, we didn't really look at the fine print, and we chose flexible funding, which means we were stuck with seventeen thousand dollars of customer money, and we couldn't do anything with it. Right. So we had to figure out a way to make more money and angel investors weren't too keen because we had just failed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You had a fail campaign on any go, right? Yeah. Why am I going to give you money? Um, (laughs) So we ended up having no choice, but to either give up or relaunch the campaign. And we decided that, you know, the product is good. We didn't understand why it didn't sell, but after, Reading up on crowdfunding and educating ourselves, we re-strategized and ended up relaunching the campaign about three, two or three months later. And we, in 42 days, raised about $600,000. Wow. From okay. That. A lot more money than the first A lot more shot. money. Right. Yeah. So what did you do differently that second time around then? And, and, and as a caveat to that, what was the biggest mistake that you made the first time around, do you think? Yeah, well, the because there's so many things we did wrong. I think the biggest thing. Let's I love the way that you're being so honest with this. We're like, we were absolutely awful the first time. There were so many things oh, we did wrong, right? It's like your first run of a business. You do everything right. wrong, right, you know? Right, um, right, right. But before I get into, let's, I guess, why don't we just talk about the 
most tangible thing I saw. That's and true. so we made the mistake that a lot of crowdfunders make when their campaigns fail. And we just thought that because Indiegogo and Kickstarter have this world audience, they have thousands of people just trolling their site every day, that we didn't need to put much emphasis on building our own audience because we're like, no matter what, it's a cool product. We're going to launch and it, it'll be successful. So that's the assumption we made. Um, we did have a company that promised to help us with email list building, social media, PR. They didn't do anything. Um, we didn't put too much emphasis on it because uh, we just made this assumption. And so that was the biggest mistake we made was not building our own audience for three to six months mm, okay. beforehand. And why this is so important, and this is, this is what made the difference in the second campaign, but it's so important because, um, like, Chris, have you ever heard of the popularity algorithm? I don't think I have. School no. me okay. on it. Yeah, so it's, um, it's a term that Kickstarter uses to figure out which campaigns are hot and making a lot of money. So Kickstarter and Indiegogo take a 5% commission for every dollar raised on their platform, and... So they are a business, which means they're in the business of making money, and they're going to boost the campaigns on the site that are proving to get a lot of traffic, have a lot of backers, and have a lot of money being raised, right? Okay. So when you are on Kickstarter, you're seeing all, like if you go to um, the tech section, you're going to see some of the top tech campaigns, or you're going to the discover section and seeing some of the top campaigns on the site. And it's the popularity algorithm that's dragging those to the top of the page because they want those campaigns to get more traffic. So what you don't see, though, are the thousands of other campaigns that have failed and haven't received funding. So the trick is, how do you get into that front page or top of your category or into a section where it's easier to be found? Mm -hmm. And that's where having your own audience comes in play. Um, when you... Picture it like uh, when you first launch a podcast on iTunes. Sure. Okay. You launch, and on that first day, you need thousands of downloads and customer reviews because iTunes is going to take that and and put you in new and noteworthy if you hit a certain level. So it's the same thing okay. with Indiegogo and Kickstarter. So totally. you need to work with that to have your audience be ready to buy on day one and uh, once you have that happen, then it's going to trick the algorithm and push your rankings up on site, and it creates a snowball effect with okay. that. Perfect. Okay. So, and it makes total sense yeah. because you yeah. know we're, we're always harping on about you know building an audience, listening to your audience. It's all about community and so on and so on. Why should this, if you think about it logically, you know, uh, as opposed to any other type of online business, why should this be any different at all? So I can exactly. totally see the correlation between the two. Absolutely. Carry on. This is good stuff. Yeah. So it's like, that is one thing that we did differently is we had a bit of an audience uh, going into it the second time. Um, the other thing that made it easier, and we, I don't recommend you intentionally lower your goal on it, but it does make it easier to launch your campaign. Um, but we, in our second campaign, had a goal of 15,000. So first time was 50, this time was 1.5. Um, we only needed about 15 at that point to bridge the gap. And so that's why we intentionally set our goal lower, which means that we needed less funding to hit our goal earlier on to hit um, hit the algorithm and get boosted on site. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Um, but a lot of people can mishear me when I say you should have a low goal. Um, I don't mean intentionally sabotage how much you think you need to raise because if you only raise 50000 you better make sure you could do something with that. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So that was a really like the biggest thing we made was uh, having that audience. And the second thing was we didn't talk to a single customer before we actually launched. So we made all these assumptions of what we thought people would want to hear and what they would resonate with on our campaign video and on the page. And this uh, weight loss technology, we wanted it to come across as like a lifestyle complement. So we wanted the diet plans with it. We wanted to encourage a healthy lifestyle, not just being able to wear a vest and sit on the couch all day while you passively lose weight. Sure. And so that's how we came across in the first campaign was like, oh, you could be as lazy as you want, sit on the couch. And so we were reaching out with this message to like fitness influencers and they're like, we don't support your message. <laughs> Number one. So we were like sabotaging the very audience we were trying to get. Um, and the copy was all wrong. And so what we learned that second time around was we brought the video in front of an audience and we brought the copy on the page to people who are would actually be our customers. And we said, can you please pick this apart and tell us what you love and what you hate? And we created the campaign the second time around with the audience. Okay, so really this is kind of... <laughs> and I love the fact that you made all these mistakes, you know, as a first kind of business endeavor into this yeah. this kind of industry because this is all and for you guys listening in there is nothing wrong with the basics right like i sometimes feel that we try and get too complicated too early on like this is simple customer validation product validation uh, and all the rest of it that we're talking about here above and beyond everything else you should not put a product or service to market without talking with prospective or even existing customers if you have some already in play, uh, you know, in, in place already. Um, and I love the fact, so I, I want to, I'd love to know a little bit more about what you did to grow that audience in that, in that few months. I mean, you know, three months is not a long time to grow an online audience. You know, we hear that it's a long game, that it's something that you need to work on consistently over a period of time. What did you guys do, even in that short period of time, to sort of try and get that audience together? Yeah, we were in a bit of a hard spot because we had exhausted our original network for sure, yeah. the first campaign, right? So now, did, we you, had did, to did you go back in any way, shape, or form to those people and ask them again to help you push it the second time around? Or did you leave them completely? Uh, we didn't talk to people who had already supported the campaign, okay. um, but we did go around to a few people in our network just to say, can you please help us share the campaign? Right. Okay. Right. right. So what we did, we because we only had two months, we didn't put a lot of emphasis on building an external email list. Um, what we did was we made sure that our campaign was getting heavily shared within that first couple of days. Okay, so you really focused in on right out of the gate stuff, basically. Out of the gate, exactly. Yeah. So we, a couple of things we did, um, like we ended up doing, because, so, you know, with the crowdfunding campaign, you have different packages you could buy for different price levels, and that's what you get, right? Sure. So they're called rewards. Um, so it's not just about having an audience, but when you 
on that first day, you want to create like a Black Friday event where you have for the first people that come to your page, when you first launch, you want to have like heavy discounts for a limited quantity of units so that it pushes people to buy quickly. Sure. So you incentivize it. So that's one thing we did was we did early bird rewards. We were offering about 50% off of the unit for the first 100 or 200 people that bought it. Okay. So that was one thing we did. And then we used a couple of services online to share the campaign. Okay. Like straight out of the gate. Okay. Um, and then we had just a couple of backers from our own network do that. Okay. And as well as a bit of an email list from building up. Yeah, so it sounds to me like I always say that if you're going to launch something, you have to make it the event that it really is. And, you know, I often talk about podcasting or launching a blog or launching a new product or whatever the case may be. But the fact is that you only get one chance to make a first impression. And, you know, you really need to go hard on that. Like, it's a launch. It's an event. It should be treated like one. And the second time round, yeah, the second time round, like, you pushed hard for a couple of days and, and obviously so out of the 600,000 or so that you raised on that second time round I'm curious how much was in the first say 72 hours <laughs> this is what's great the first 72 hours we did oh between 20 and 30,000 huh. okay I would have thought okay. it'd be more than that but go on carry no, on no no because what happened is that in that second day um Oh, second campaign, sorry. Day one, we raised about 20000 And then for that next week, we raised about 10000 10 or 15000 consistently for a day. And then we, because we are one of the top-ranking campaigns on Indiegogo, we ended up getting featured in their newsletter on a Tuesday morning on the eighth day of the campaign. Okay. And that one day, we raised $155,000. See, man, that's huge. So it really is yeah. about getting the nod also, right, from the service that you're using to actually do this crowdfunding. I mean, like, it's oh, great man. to have the audience and everything, but if they end up sticking you on the homepage or, like I say, on the email or something, it's game over, basically, right? Yeah, and that's, like, because in my podcast, I've spoken to a few creators who have been featured in the newsletter, and that's, depending on the price point of your product, you raise about a hundred grand in that one day that you're featured because it's just, your campaign explodes at that point. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, I mean, look. So that that obviously is wasn't it. And what was the target on that campaign again? Give us give us the recap. Uh, the target on the second one was fifteen thousand. <laughs> okay, which you basically did on the first day. So you were doing cartwheels anyway, and then by the time you know the, the entire funding period was over, that was it. it, it you, you realized obviously you had a massive success. Um, how many people backed that project all in? Ooh. I give me a second. I'll look at that. You can actually hear a clicking everywhere. I feel like we should have elevator music right now. Do, 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 do. No, it's <laughs> probably, probably slightly better elevator music. <laughs> let's pull it up. Let's have a look. Let's let's pull it up. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. We raised four thousand eight hundred and thirty backers. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Wow. Okay. And like. They're now customers of the brand yes. when they launch on Amazon, right? That's that's phenomenal. Well, well done. Congrats. So let's break down, other than obviously what you've just gone through, um, what two or three things do you feel like? If, if, if people that are listening in are potentially considering crowdfunding for the next product, uh, the next book, 
the next event, the next whatever it is, what are two or three things that they should really focus in on to try and make their campaigns as big of a success as this one? Well, just to um, kind of hammer in that the thin ice wasn't a fluke, like I thought it was a fluke that first time around because we're like, oh, a 600K. But um, I was approached by quite a few other companies in Toronto to launch campaigns for them after they saw what happened with Thin Ice. Sure. So I ended up uh, taking exactly what I learned from Thin Ice and going on to manage and advise two other campaigns and apply the exact same principles to them. And one was Taplock. We raised three hundred and uh, about 340000 right now. And mm. Pavlock's Shock Clock was also another campaign that did over three hundred k. Right. So... And the biggest thing that we did well with all three of those campaigns is having fast momentum out of the gate. All three of them raised $100,000 in eight days or less. That's killer. So, I mean, yeah. is is video a big – because I've seen, obviously, video. you know, yeah. video for me has to be a big component here, right? Um, so, what's your take on that? Yeah. So, okay, first, video, don't even crowdfund if you don't have a video. Wow. Bold statement. Okay. okay bold it's, statement. Good though, because this is what I want to get to. I want to get to the nitty gritty stuff. You know what I mean? The no yeah. BS type of uh, information, because I think there's a lot of people that like the idea of just slamming something up there and see how it'll be perceived. But every single campaign that I've personally ever backed has always had a really nice video. Yeah, because you look at what's in the video. Um, keep your video less than three minutes. You're playing with attention span. Uh, get to the point or your have a nice hook to keep them engaged in the video after about ten, the first 10 or 15 seconds. Mm. But the video is a way to not only prove that you have this product because backers are getting weary of backing the wrong campaigns that may not have product. So prove that you have something. Uh, show that it's being used by people. And because not only is it going to showcase uh, different use cases, but you want to the person to see themselves using this. And you can actually have FaceTime with the founder. Like, there's just, you build so much trust by having that video, showing your product, showing the team, showing the development, and just hammering home the top three features or pain points that your product solves. Because... It's going to video converts a lot better than having someone come in and trying to read the text on your page because then the process for them to get and really connect with what you're doing is going to take a lot longer and you might get them bored and they'll leave your page and never come back. Sure. So that's why video is so important. And do we do we do we need like as I've seen some videos that have been produced that quite frankly are just Hollywood standards like they're insanely good but do we need to go no. sort of hardcore like if we had a budget of like 10 grand would we put nine and a half on the video or do we does a simple kind of uh, you know webcam thing will do or what's your feeling on on the quality and the production quality side of things production quality should be good but don't break the bank to do sure. it okay all right, right? I mean, I, I really feel that if you have a fantastic product and a really great story, it's more about how you deliver that than how great the film quality is. Like, if you have great film quality but a crappy product, it doesn't matter how much money you put into the video. 
Yeah, no, agree. I, I'd get that. Okay, so other than video, let's break down packages because I think this is an important sort of rewards, right? Like yep. this is where you have to get, I'm assuming, pretty bloody creative, right? Yeah. First thing is your reward should... Um, it should make sense with what your campaign is doing. So I work primarily with physical products. So if you are looking to raise money to manufacture product A, then you should be using your rewards to pre-sell product A so people can buy the product, right? Um, Simple in stuff. Terms of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? if you have something like you're raising money for a – um, to say you have a film or a theater production or a project or something, uh, something where you don't, you can't deliver something tangible. That's when you can deliver accessories or a digital version of it as well. Like, sure. um, I know films are one of the most popular funded categories on Kickstarter. So you can sell, uh, tickets to it, to a premiere. You can do director credits. You can meet the team. You could, there are a lot of things that you can give away. You can give away DVD copies of it. Um, the thing with your rewards is if you have to get creative and you're thinking of like t-shirts and keychains and all this stuff, um, just think of how much of a pain it is for you to think about delivering, uh, and actually delivering like multiple products of something on top of your actual project that you're promising to deliver. So keep the number of different inventory items you have to a minimum to keep your job easier. And I would have thought, like, try and keep it not only to a minimum, but digital as much as possible, right? Exactly. Because surely that's going to make it so much easier to uh, to fulfill. I mean, for me, that's the one scary because I've, you know, I've been involved in the infomercial business before in my career uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And fulfillment is everything. If you don't have a good fulfillment partner, you kind of screwed out of the gate when it comes to that side of things. And I have to assume that this is not much different in regards to obviously delivering what you're promising. Um, and I'm, no, you know, our, our mutual friend, John Lee Dumas, that, you know, had a great success with Freedom Journal, uh, which he's been on the show to talk about um, before. And, you know, that, that I remember sitting down with him, actually, told me, when he told me he was going to do that, I said to him, you're getting a made in China. And he said, yep. And I said, okay, tell me about your fulfillment. <laughs> it was the first thing <laughs> I said to him because I'd been there and done that one. Um, so, I mean, so keeping fulfillment kind of practices or requirements, I guess is a better word, to a minimum, stay digital if you can, not have too many different kind of types of rewards, and keeping it just really super simple, but high value, right? Yeah, and know that Kickstarter's most funded level is around the $25 mark. So you want to have variety in your price packages, but mm. don't have 100 different rewards. Um, I'd recommend keeping it between 8 and 10 less if you can. Um, okay. Like there's a lot of literature about this stuff online, but have a one or a five dollar perk, just if a thank you perk. Um, do one around the twenty five dollar mark. Do one around the hundred dollar mark. The five hundred, one thousand, and then multiple thousands. Um, you can get creative with the multiple thousand packages with wholesale orders, and yes, people do buy those. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So. Um, okay, yeah, because again, I know John did very well um, with the Freedom Journal. Yeah, he Journal. sold a few of those. Just a couple. Just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. 453000 I think. That's kind of crazy. Dollars raised. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a lot of cash as well. That's a lot of cash, particularly for a book that you basically have to write yourself. 
know. <laughs> and I'm I'm digging at him a little bit, but I'm like I'm like he's like, oh, I'm writing the book. I said, no, you're not. You're going to get the other people to write the book. The people who buy it are going to write the damn book. No, but I mean, like you know, it, it's for me. I, I think that's the perfect example of something, particularly in the entrepreneurial space, that is you know is, is going to do very well. Is it's that kind of getting people motivated, getting people to take action, getting that commitment. Oh, yeah. Because once you start something like the Freedom Journal, for example, and it can be that or it can be anything else, something similar. Once you start it, you're kind of in, right? Like it's like the mafia. There's no getting out. Um, you've got to carry on <laughs> through to the end kind of thing. And I, I really, when he did tell me about that and the concept behind it, I thought it was a brilliant idea. And obviously he did very well with it. What do you see, you know, what type of, it, focusing on the entrepreneurial side of things, what kind of, um, what kind of campaigns do you see that do very, very well? Yeah, um, I love that. Uh, physical products do very well okay. because you have potential for a global audience, right? So physical products do really well um, in terms of being able to drive big numbers. Okay, so um, what, what type of products do you think, you know, are are best pursued within our particular kind of business niche on. Oh, okay. specifically within yeah. business. Oh, like for items that entrepreneurs would buy. Exactly. I'm just curious on, more than okay. anything else. Honestly, for if I look at selfishly, what I would buy, it's anything to help me with productivity. Mm, okay. All right. Right. And anything to help me optimize my time. I think. love it. Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's so solid. Think- okay. I, I like that because I, I think that, you know, there's a lot, let's not beat around the bush here. There's a lot of t- those types of products out there, oh, but the vast majority of them are utter rubbish. They're a load of rubbish. Um, and I think that, I think the time has come for someone to come out with something productivity focused, time management focused, that is a real game, like a real needle mover in people's businesses. Um, I am not going to put that together for anybody that's listening. (laughs) Maybe like, oh, we have a glimpse of Chris's next product. No, 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 no. Um, This is not my vibe, but um, there's got to be someone out there with the, you know, with the business chops and experience behind them to put something really solid together. Because I kind of feel like it's really needed at the moment. Wouldn't you agree? I do. And I'm actually behind a potential project that might be launching soon that might have something to do with that. Uh-huh. Okay. Maybe. Okay. All right. Cool. So, all right, look, I mean, you know, we could go on and on and on about this stuff. What do you, let, to wrap up, how do you feel um, this is going to impact our kind of online entrepreneurial space in the next, say, I don't know, two to three years? How, how do you feel crowdfunding is going to kind of take things to the next level? feel like it's going to be so crowdfunding i think is going to be the go-to method of funding Hmm. just hands down if you have the right business or product and mindset um crowdfunding is awesome i think that there's so much that so many people that are entering into crowdfunding now that shouldn't be crowdfunding Mm. and i think that as more as we see the crap shows that that crowdfunding is becoming with like coolest cooler and scully going under um people are going to be become more smart with it and it's that's what i think i think it's going to become a more competitive landscape but the quality should go up because 
we're getting to that point where things haven't been super regulated and we've seen the problems with that. So I think those are going to get ironed out and hopefully create a sustainable ecosystem. Yeah, well, look, I for me, I, I've, I've never produced a crowdfunding campaign. I'm not saying I never will do, uh, but it's certainly not in my near future plans. But I have backed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I too, like, I, I think what it is also is that because we do business online, we kind of forget how cool real actual products are, right? And I think there's something, there's something in us to want to help other people to if we're a nice person anyway to want to help other other entrepreneurs succeed i think that's an important quality um Mm -hmm. you know even even good leaders need to follow you know to continue to grow and i kind of feel like being able to help people on these types of campaigns is a great way for us to be able to do that um and not only help people but also you know encourage the the idea of just entrepreneurship as a whole when it comes to producing product, marketing product, selling product, utilizing product in our daily lives and all the rest of it. And man, it's just so much fun. Isn't it fun? Oh, I love it's this so stuff. much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Like we were shooting a video for one of our next upcoming crowdfunding campaigns this weekend. And it was the first time I saw the prototype. And after like three months of working with this thing and actually seeing it in action, it was just incredible. Yeah. Like that's be. what I love. It must be incredibly rewarding when you see these campaigns launch and they do as well, if not even better than what you think they will do, right? Yeah, let's hope so. (laughs) All right, well, look, for you guys tuning in, um, you can find out a little bit more about Kirsten over at, uh, sorry, crowdfundinguncut.com. Um, and the show notes will be over on the blog, chrisducker.com forward slash episode 189. Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, this has been great. It has a lot been of fun. A lot of fun. And I look forward to seeing you again at Tropical Think Tank next March as well. You are coming back for more. You must be a sucker for punishment. That's all I can say. Or I love you and the beach. <laughs> and masterminding. In, in, in that order as well. Me, the yes. beach, masterminding. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yes. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. All right. You guys, thank you also for tuning in. We will be back at you again next week. Until then, take good care. Be kind to each other. Go do something fantastic. And I'll speak to you then. Bye for now. If the idea of an entrepreneurial community where you get to learn from the best in the business, as well as rub shoulders, gain support, have access to immediate feedback, as well as nonstop accountability from your peers, is something that excites you. Then visit youpreneur.com for more information and to get started on building a business you can truly be proud of today. That's youpreneur.com. We'll see you on the inside.